Hey, it's Dan Harmon from Harmontown. I want to tell you about an exciting new podcast coming to Feral Audio called Launch Left. Rain, Phoenix, and Moon Zappa are going to interview extraordinary minds, mavericks, and pioneers in their fields. This season, Launch Left is going to celebrate nonconformists like Michael Stipe, Shepard Ferry, Spike Jones, Mario Batali, and many others. And those guests are also going to spotlight their favorite left-of-center emerging artists. So listen and subscribe now at feralaudio.com slash left, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can do it however you want, man. That's the nonconformist part. Guys, I want to tell you about a great sponsor I have, Bompus. They're premium high-performance athletic socks, and they're so comfortable you're never going to want to take them off. And because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters, for every pair of socks purchased, Bompus donates one pair of those to those in need. Almost one million pairs donated to date. 15% off the first purchase of four or more socks. Plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral and buy some comfortable socks. Hello and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I am Matt Dwyer. If you haven't listened to the show before, it is just what the uh, title there implies. It's a conversation with me. It's kind of a free-formed, hey, we're just talking type of show. Less than like a Q&A type thing. Today my guest is the host of the uh, Moment of Clarity. Um, you can see on the YouTubes, uh, Mr. Lee Camp. He is, uh, I have a great deal of respect for Mr. Lee Camp because he's one of them guys who can be super topical, political, and funny which is fucking hard to do, and I speak from my many, many failings at it. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is hard to take something like an oil spill and make it uh, a very funny and insightful thing, so uh, I'm really thrilled to have Lee on the show, um, he's a, and he's a fucking super cool dude, and he's super funny, and it's also really difficult to do this intro right now because uh, I'm recording this today of the uh, whole situation that went on in Boston. I interviewed Lee a couple weeks before, so we don't talk about that situation at all, but it's just hard when something like this happens to not go grab a bottle of bourbon and a, a fucking bag of marijuana and just give yourself a good mind eraser. Um, but I don't smoke weed, so that that would, that would, that would make me think about it more and... Uh, it's also a hard thing to sort of talk about and and cuz people get, you know, very reactionary in these times. So and you know, I'm sure there's a lot of fights breaking out in bars across the country right now. <laughs> a lot of guys getting fucking punched in the eye for saying some stupid shit right about now. But um the one thing that's really bugging me is that the gratuitous gore our media is showing of injured civilians. I, I don't know how that helps the situation any. <laughs> um, what that does is makes people upset and angry. But I also think it's interesting that, <clears throat> excuse me, that our media never shows, say, um, wounded American soldiers. Uh, they never show that side of this uh, supposed war on terror. And, you know, I don't know, maybe that's because they got to keep fueling the war machine. You know, if we if we, we saw uh, horribly disfigured soldiers, we probably might go, hey, maybe we should get the fuck out of Afghanistan already. <laughs> but if you show wounded civilians, all that says is, hey, let's go blow some more shit up because we got to get who did this. And I think something that... Cornell West said after 9-11, he said that people keep saying, how did this, how could this happen? How could this happen? And Cornell West's question was, how did this not happen sooner? Not, of course, hoping that this would happen, but our government meddles in a lot of fucking shit they shouldn't, so people get pissed off and they want to, come back at us <laughs> it's like and it's like we're just you know with our drone attacks and then this it's just this causing this constant 
shitting out the ass of the world, you know? It's just going to perpetuate more violence, and I hope that we can maybe start to see that and maybe stop being violent. Is that too (laughs) hippy-dippy? It's just, uh, it's... It's just, this shit's really hard on the brain, you know? It's really hard not to be depressed right now. Um, but you know what? It'll all clear, and we'll all figure this shit out, I hope, right? Everybody? Let's all just meditate or something. <laughs> I'm, uh, boy, I hope that was a decent there, uh, rambling I had. Uh, let's get on to the the highly topical and political converse, but very funny conversation I have with the super uh, great and very talented Mr. Lee Cole. I wanted to start off with your latest moment of clarity. Uh, you talk a lot about uh, the New York City cops and some of the terrible fucking things they're doing. And L.A. cops are awful, but I really think right now New York might be stealing the cake a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, New York, I guess New York has more of this, like, stop and frisk craziness and, and that kind of thing. Although I was down at Occupy Los Angeles when we were getting shot with rubber bullets for writing in chalk on the sidewalks. Oh, were you down there so, for that? Yeah, we're just by coincidence. It's the it's the only time. Well, yeah, it's the only time I was ever at Occupy LA, and I just happened to be there on the night that cops are like firing at people. Yeah, that I I think that chalk thing is a pretty awesome approach because it's like it's not really defacing. You know, I, it's like weird. Like, why are you getting pissed off? It like washes off with water. <laughs> Hey, you know what they say, if they outlaw chalk, only the outlaws will have chalk. <laughs> that's that's true. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, L.A. cops are pretty terrible, because especially Anaheim, you don't want to go down there, and they'll just fucking kill you for, for the fun of it. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just for practice. But what was that whole thing you were talking about? Like, just, like, cops are admitting to just frivolous weed busts. Right. Well, there's, I mean, there, there, it's, you know, it's documented. And basically, I, I think it was a, a pro-legalization organization just did the math. You know, they took the number of arrests. They took the average time it takes to make an arrest. And they found out that over the past decade, the NYPD has spent over a million hours arresting 440,000 people for uh, low-level marijuana, like 25 grams or less. And it's just such an immense amount of time and manpower and everything for absolutely nothing, you know, for inhaling a, a piece of grass. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's it, absolutely insane. And, and then the other thing I mentioned in the video is that a, a officer who's getting, like, the NYPD really hates him right now because he is revealing that they do have an illegal quota system saying that they have to, you know, arrest or, or stop and frisk a certain number of people or else they'll, you know, get the shitty jobs. They'll be demoted or whatever. Has this guy not seen Serpico? Does he not know how this ends? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Didn't, didn't Pacino show him how this works? Uh, yeah, he's going to—that's great. I wish I, I wished there was more cops who would just be like, hey, we're doing—we're a gang. Let's just admit we're a gang. And we do some really fucked up stuff, but they seem to have their little buddy system. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely number number one is look out for the other guys. Number two is maybe some sort of law and order. But... Yeah, that's a great. And I've I had to uh, I on a, I on occasion work in a bar in a in a very rough neighborhood downtown in L.A. And I had to call the cops once because two really huge guys were like saying they're going to kill me. The cops. A half hour later, called and they were like, "Are they still there?" I was like, "Hey, thanks for calling, guys." <laughs> oh God! And they're like, "Because if they're still there, you know, we don't really want to meet them. So just give us a call once they're gone. If if your arms are still working, give us give us a call, would you?" 
<laughs> yeah, and I read this thing, and I'm. I hope it doesn't seem like because uh, I said your cops might be worse than ours right now, and uh, and I don't want it to seem like uh, I'm harping on New York because I I lived there and I, I I liked it and but like Bloomberg recently was saying the things like we're gonna have drones, get used to it, and I'm just like that is a fucking terrifying concept to me of just like deal with it. Yeah, it's it's funny because he's also the guy who want who who. And, you know, I actually agree with him on some of the gun laws, but he, you know, he wants to take away your guns or some of your guns. And at the same time, he wants to have drones over your head. So it's like, well, which, so you get to have drones, but you don't want us with guns. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it is pretty terrifying. And it's, you know, it's happening across the United States and various states. I know Virginia has passed something saying that drones aren't allowed over their skies, but, you know, most states are allowing it and it's, pretty horrible yeah i'm a little confused by that because it's like uh, you know it is it's like i know i think portland recently was doing something like cities as well and it's like but can't the federal government just be like go fuck yourselves we're gonna do this anyway i mean i'm not a constitutional lawyer or anything but it seems like they yeah they could be like go fuck yourselves yeah i don't know whether they, i don't know how the how the ruling works i mean sometimes they it seems to me like if they really want to get something passed, they'll just go to the politicians and say, hey, guys, you know, pass this or we'll make your lives living hell and we'll give all our money to the other side or something. So I, I don't know, but we'll see. I think people also don't understand, like, they, for one thing, they think that if there's drones over them, they can see them. And in fact, you know, 99% of the time, drones are so high that you can't see them. So yeah, it's not like you are going to be upset because you're going to see something hovering over your head. It's like you just won't see anything. <laughs> but uh, And then on on top of that, like, you know, Obama and Eric Holder just recently have said that they're allowed to assassinate American citizens on American soil, which is what Rand Paul did his whole filibuster about, 13-hour filibuster. So you've now got them saying they can have drones over our heads and can assassinate us. That's uh, that's not that's not a good thing. No, and it's like weird to me that people, a lot of people, just think our government's gonna still do the right thing. Like, well, they're they're not gonna kill, you know, good people, as if right. as if they haven't looked at our entire history of. Which right, is, right. They they would never kill like someone that's not actively committing giant terrorist plots. Meanwhile, they've already assassinated a 16-year-old boy because uh, of who his father was. So was, I hope I hope nobody I hope nobody has some uh, you know some some dads with some checkered past. <laughs> who I, I missed that that wasn't the thing in Brooklyn, was it? No, they assassinated. I think his his name the the father's name was Al Awaki, and they assassinated his son in in Afghanistan. Oh, but the oh. son is a yeah, the son is an American. The son is an American citizen. Oh fuck! I didn't. I I kind of like. I knew little bits of that. I for, I forgot that he was uh, an American citizen. That's uh, that's. Uh, <laughs> well, that proves that we're really fucking up. Yeah, it's getting fun. You know, it's an exciting time to be alive. Who would have thought that? Who would have thought that in my lifetime we'd have drones taking out Americans? It's. Good. Yeah, I can't like. I keep asking myself the question: Is it does it is it is is this the worst it's ever been, or am I like being like just overly paranoid? I mean, do you think is I feel like we're in a major pivotal time and entering into a shitstorm. Well, I I think it's it is the worst and it's not the worst in certain ways. I think that it's not the worst in the sense like you know during the Cold War, at least the times of it, we literally thought that a nuclear bomb could rain down at any minute. So I think it's not the worst in that sense. But on the other hand, it's we're, we're headed towards a more like terminal kind of problem with, with climate disruption. And, and you basically, even if you don't believe, even if you're one of the nut jobs that doesn't believe in, in climate change, you, you could still, uh, you still understand that we're using up the world's resources and they're not going to last a whole lot longer. And uh, we, we, we are headed down a pretty horrible path. So I think in that way, it's it's worse than it's ever been. And, uh, you know, technology, like the drones speak to the idea that 
that technology can be a pretty horrific thing if we keep using it in the wrong ways. But on the other side of it, we are kind of in a mental a revolution of communication. You know, it, it, the Internet has gone from over the span of only 25 years, gone from basically involved in nothing to involved in every moment of our lives. So it's it's a huge revolution, the speed of which, you know, we, we haven't seen with the exception of maybe that that automatic device that scoops your kitty litter. <laughs> I. <laughs> I yeah I I can't help but think the government's gonna be like fuck like how did this get by us because <laughs> it's like I mean we now can that's the I was thinking about like how last night how the cops you know like when they killed Dorner or even with uh, when they evacuated the Occupy movement in downtown Los Angeles they told the media like you can't be here but it's like you can't there's a million people now with cell phones who. You know, right. like like Tim Pool, and it's like the it's like it's like you can't control that shit unless you completely black something out, which I wouldn't put past our government to just shut down the internet for a few hours so they could beat up some people. Yeah, I mean it, it is true that it's kind of gotten out of their hands, which is why they're trying to push through, you know, the SOPA pipe thing that that got blocked by really impressive online activism, and and now they're trying to do it again via the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which, you know, people don't really know about, but it's it's this trade deal that, you know, is being called NAFTA on steroids. And trade deal sounds like it only has to do with, like, jobs and import-export, but it also has to do with Internet copyright and stuff. So basically the same shit that was in those, you know, Internet-destroying bills that got beat is in the, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. So people have to start paying attention to that. Yeah, it's terrifying how many things are happening that are with, the, like, the NDAA Act and all these things that are, like, complete attacks on civil liberties. And I don't think I saw anything on the NDAA Act in any major newspapers. It was like, I was like, how is, how is Chris Hedges, Noam Chomsky, and Daniel Ellsberg suing the government and no one knows about this? Yeah, it's it seems to be this like agreement among the media. We're not going to talk about th- certain things. We're not going to talk about NDAA. We're not going to talk about um, uh, the, the TPP. We're not going to talk about Bradley Manning. I was like floored the other day that I was talking to, you know, a lefty New York guy who's fairly he's certainly not an activist, but fairly well informed. And I brought up Bradley Manning. He'd never heard of him. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, I mean that's that's the point we've gotten to that they can make someone disappear. But but I think if you you know talking about the the kind of truth revolution we're in the communication revolution, it's like thirty years ago, forty years ago, he wouldn't be the only one who's never heard of Bradley. Like Bradley Manning would have been disappeared in a jail cell somewhere, and you literally never like no one would have heard about him. So I think that's the difference between now and then. Yeah. That's that's very true. Now you said the yeah you used the word activist and do you consider yourself an activist or do you consider yourself more just a politically minded comedian? Yeah, I mean no, I I definitely consider myself an activist and I think that kind of the the, the divider line is is whether you're ever doing things out on the streets and and trying to get the word out in you know, ways outside of just doing my comedy show, um, which I do. I, I've done some pranks with the Yes Men, and, and so we went down to the Cayman Islands and did, like, investigative comedy reporting down there on tax havens. And, and you know, I was very involved in Occupy and, and down there a lot. But So I do consider myself an activist, but I don't consider myself uh, on the level of some of these street activists that are really impressive, you know, that are truly at every march that's happening and every protest that's happening. I, I, I put them above me on the activist ladder because, uh, the, you know, they, they are truly doing something uh, incredible to, uh, to, to put themselves out there like that. Um, is, is pretty impressive. Yeah. There's, uh, I've talked with some people, uh, on this show and there's like, People who are just willing to destroy their entire lives because of a cause. I had a guy who worked under Monsanto uh, I interviewed recently, and he uh, 
he didn't use his last name, but if they figure out who he is, he's he's fucked because he signed a disclosure thing. <laughs> it's like I was like, wow, like they'll destroy you. <laughs> but, yeah, I can't. Rem- I I wish I could remember the guy's name, but there was a guy that just recently had a goodbye party in D.C. because he was sent away to jail for whistleblowing, and you know, basically just made a choice. He was like, this they may send me to jail, but this is more important. And, you know, that that kind of stuff is so fucking incredible. I mean, that shows that there are heroes still out there. This the a, a name I do remember is uh, Tim DeChristopher is this environmental activist that's now currently in jail for three years for bidding at the end of the Bush administration. They were selling off like all these Utah pristine lands to oil companies and he went in like thousands, hundreds of thousands of acres and he went into the auction and pretended to buy all these all this land and then when it came time to pay he had no money and so they called it fraud or whatever but by the time they redid the auction it was or would have redone the auction obama was in office and he didn't allow the auction to go through so this guy single-handedly saved hundreds of thousands of pristine acres in utah from oil destruction and uh, you know oil company destruction and now is in jail God, that's amazing. I mean, and that's like, because I admire people who do that, and I definitely uh, do a lot of things politically. And and but like, I don't. I'm terrified of prison. <laughs> like, I would. <laughs> it would not go well. I mean, I think we all know what goes on there, and it's like, I, that's. I mean, to be like, all right, well, I'm just going to get the shit kicked out of me for the next ten years, is astounding to me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's why you, you you definitely have to respect the guys who kind of knew that was going to happen to them. And then there's the other side of things, which is guys who I don't think ever thought they'd be sent away for whistleblowing or for telling the truth. And uh, you know, that's that's horrible in a whole other way. Yeah, we a lot of these. I and I the the recent uh, whistleblower from the CIA who's got some really long. Kikuchu, or I can't. Is that the guy who you were thinking of, who just had the going away yeah. party? Yeah, that might be him. Yeah. Yeah, he needs to change his last name there so we can remember it. <laughs> <laughs> He'd get a lot more press if we could pronounce that fucking thing. But yeah, and it's like we should celebrate these guys, but we're like, nope, go fuck yourselves. Yeah, I mean, well, the, again, the media, the mainstream media, won't discuss it, and. And, you know, the, the fact that you and I know who this guy is, is is a tribute to the way communication has changed. But, of course, you, it, it has to go farther. I mean, you, you, you the mid-America, the rest of America, the other 70% that only get their news from TV channels still need to, uh, need to start getting it elsewhere, I guess. Yeah, do you ever find that, like, socially, because... Like, wonderful comedy series, like Moment of Clarity. <laughs> <laughs> Which is actually, yeah, I, I mean, I, I consider myself pretty well informed, and I, I spend a great amount of time reading the, and watching the things. But like, I, you, I will consistently learn stuff from your show, which as well as laugh, which is, and I don't, I hope that doesn't sound like some weird ass kissy showbiz shit. <laughs> but I mean, but that's a very rare uh, uh, thing, I think, to that happens in comedy these days. And so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I kind of try and do is like I I try and give people things that they might not have known, and then make them funny, and then after after that, it's up to it's up to the the people to go out and like learn more about it. It's like I I know I can't tell people everything there is to know about the Trans-Pacific Partnership in three minutes. So I kind of say, hey, this thing exists. It's totally fucked up. It it sucks sizable like grapefruit sized balls and you guys should go out and learn more about it <laughs> what made you want it because in i i haven't been in the new york comedy scene in a long time <laughs> but i don't see even when i go out on the road and stuff i don't see a lot of you don't see a lot of outwardly political stuff eddie pepitone definitely is very socially conscious um, but you just don't see a lot of it. Does it, does it, is it go, a little bit more prevalent in New York right now? I hope. Uh, I mean, maybe a little. <laughs> a couple of my friends and I get really pissed cause it's like, uh, there's like that whimsical, like, I'm not saying anything, but this is really cute and well put together. And it just 
sometimes it just yeah. infuriates me because it's just like yeah I, yeah I, I totally agree and it's it's not like that comedy can't exist I mean there are, there are comedians like that who I love but it's like when it's ninety five percent of all comedy is like that it it drives you up a wall and you know I've had probably ten times in my career I've had a comedian go on after me and their opening joke is to let the crowd know that they don't care like that crazy guy who, who was on before them. <laughs> I get that all the fucking time, too. <laughs> or they're like, here's a, here's a real ray of sunshine. And it's like, hey, you're fucking me by bringing me up like this. Because then they just... Yeah, well, yeah, there, <laughs> yeah, there's that. And then lots of times there's a comedian who will walk up after me and, the, you know, the... Yeah, the one the other day, I think a comic went on after me, and he was like, don't worry, I don't give a shit about anything. And the oh. crowd's like, ha, ah, yay. That fucking hurts. Like, that hurts to hear, because it's like, I just feel like, I know, I mean, I have some dumb gags that are whatever, but uh, I just really, like, when I see a guy talking about what he jerks off to for 10 minutes, I'm like, Really? Like the ocean's dying. <laughs> like it's like out of all the life experiences, we are picking this. <laughs> it's like it just seems like. Come on, let's try to elevate something. Yeah, I th I think that it's a it's a combination of the fact that a lot of comedians don't care with the fact that it's harder to you know you you sometimes you alienate a little bit of the audience. Sometimes the booker doesn't want to have you back on because you talked about shit he disagrees with or whatever and. And so it is a it is a tougher road, and I think that a lot of comedians take the road that's the, the you know the easier path. It's just it's like I can I can fight against all these things in my way in order to make people laugh at difficult issues, or I can go down this fun water slide over here. <laughs> it's that's what's uh, uh, really great too about our information age is like. You know, you can go out there and create your YouTube show, and and uh, as well as your moment of clarity, which are they're just two different things. You have two different things now. You have the moment of clarity, your rants, and then you have your longer show. Yeah, I, I have the moment of clarity rants, which I've been doing for two years. That that I have about two hundred and twenty of up online. And then I have the Moment of Clarity show, which is brand new, and we're going to be doing a Kickstarter for it soon to try and get it better funded, because the, the reason it's coming out so slowly is, is time and money and manpower and that kind of thing. Um, but the third episode should be up soon with uh, featuring Roseanne Barr. Oh, really? And Yeah, and people should uh, should check that out at LeeCamp.net or uh, on my YouTube page. Uh, slash moment of clarity show, but yeah, it's it's a much bigger undertaking than the rants. But I, you know, the rants, I'm gonna keep doing them. They're they're still kind of uh, the the basis of of who I am. So yeah, uh, you know, it's interesting because like when uh, Roseanne Barr ran for president, people were like, "She's crazy." I was like, "Have you listened to actually some of the shit she's got to say?" Because <laughs> it's like, but but now um, you know, uh, Nader's crazy too. So. I, I love that Nader somehow, because he ran a second time, was became crazy. It's like, he makes total sense. He's not crazy at all. Right, right, yeah. It's, it's And and Roseanne, it's like, it, you know, I I think even, even moderates would probably agree with 80 to 90% of what she says, and then she's got a 10% that kind of turns people off. But, you know, maybe they should focus on, on what they agree on and, and – uh, you know something, some some big breaking news on that that will be on the Moment of Clarity show with Roseanne is she's still running for president. She's never conceded. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I like stick to itiveness, you know. <laughs> it's uh, but it's amazing too, because then it's like people get turned off by uh, somebody like her or Nader, and it's like, do you listen to the fucking garbage that comes out of some of the majority? of our politicians' mouths. Like, it's a f purely, like, offensive most of the time. Yeah, I know. It's like it's like people would rather have that warm, soft liaria just spray, <laughs> sprayed all over them than to have to listen to something that might be contentious and might tell us that shit is fucked up. <laughs> yeah, and it's like... <laughs> I voted Obama the first time. I will never, 
ever fucking vote Republican or Democrat again. Maybe in an extreme exception. But, I mean, I feel yeah, like... I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say I voted Obama the first time, too. I, I fucking bought it, man. I totally bought it. And then it's like, then I realized, you know, like through listening to Chomsky and stuff, it's just like we totally projected what we wanted into him. He never gave us, really never told us who he was. It was just a great story. It was like we bought the rhetoric. Well, I, you know, I was at the at the end of the day, I was going off of two two things mainly. W yes, we did buy the rhetoric, rhetoric, but I was going off the fact that having a black president did say a lot about how how far America had come. True. Unfortunately, now it's unfortunately now it's saying you know that a black president can be equally uh, I don't know right wing and and uh, take away your freedoms, but uh, but. So, so that I was going off of that, and I was going off his stance on the Iraq War. You know, essentially the only person that said we shouldn't do it. Um, but you know, I, I guess that didn't. At the end of the day, that didn't really mean anything. But yeah, but you know, even Chomsky said that that in a swing state, he'd probably vote for Obama because it's. I mean, I I don't know. My my argument is that it just continues when you keep voting for the more left of the two candidates and it just keeps pulling everything farther to the right you're not actually winning anything yeah and that's a good point i just yeah i mean if if the if the keystone pipeline goes through and if we end up which i would be shocked if we don't invade iran I, then i mean don't don't you think we're possible we're heading down that road at a rapid rate yeah it does seem like we're we're headed that way although it's possible that they I mean, you know, the, the, I was going to say it's possible that they've learned enough of a lesson from Iraq to only bomb Iran, Iran, which is still fucking horrific, but maybe won't mean men on the ground. But then again, there's so much money made in war. I mean, the amount of money that's made for certain people, certain contractors uh, from just being in Iraq forever that, you know, what what point is there to, for them to stop if anything is you know why would they why would they take their dick out of the glory hole right? <laughs> you know when, when you go on the road because i do you i can't something i mean i know i've noticed that i have to alter things if when i go out there do you it's gotta be a little bit harder when you go out into do you go out into the more uh eh, say rural areas ever I mean, I do, but uh, like especially the past couple of years, it's been I'm largely playing to my crowd, you know, and and I'm not doing that on purpose. But if I go into a town and say I have a show, or it's going to be my fans that come out, so uh, it's I haven't played like just a middle of nowhere a comedy club in a long time, and and uh, yeah, I, I don't. But but the thing is, I I do play in New York uh, like every night of the week to random crowds that are not my fans and are sometimes very, some of them are right wing. And, and so I do have to learn how to make everyone laugh, but if the full, if the entire crowd is like right wing, like if I played a comedy club in, in, you know, Alabama or Tennessee or something, I, uh, it wouldn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's weird though, man. And even in like some of the, uh, hipper rooms, sometimes if you get too, political it's like you can lose them and it's just like it's really weird i had a i had a whole thing about the, the Koch brothers and how somebody if there was a crazy person in the audience you know don't go into like a mcdonald's and shoot people abduct one of the Koch brothers <laughs> and like torture them <laughs> and the yeah. audience just wouldn't they were just like looking at me like i was insane and i was like are you on board with these guys <laughs> like what's like what is wrong with you well, you know what might be scary is, do they know who the Koch brothers are? Yeah, I try to inform them on who, who they... It does, people do seem... But I think I agree with you as well. I think people are... It's a little blurry. But Well, sometimes it, 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 there's like a lot of things that you, that you and I start to take for granted, I think, because we're talking to people that care about these issues. And, and, you know, like I take for granted that not that people necessarily agree with Bradley Manning, but that they know who he is, and maybe I shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be taking that for granted. And and I I one of the times I've played in Los Angeles, I've I've liked the shows uh, a lot, but I did feel like the audience is weird because it's like everyone's left wing, but everyone's 
a type of left wing that doesn't really want to stand up or be angry about anything. <laughs> so it's it's kind of like they all agree with me, but they're kind of like shocked, like staring at me like, why is he upset about these things? Why doesn't he just go down to the beach? <laughs> you know, go down there and be angry. Go, yeah. You know, I agree. I think there's a weird... Uh, I don't see anything wrong with being angry. Like I think there's, it's it's we've we're so entrenched in uh, pop culture psychology these days, where it's like just think positively and things will change. And it's like no, it won't. <laughs> like I mean, being positive is good, but you sometimes getting pissed off and is gonna do it. Like Martin Luther King was pissed off. He just used it well. Right, right. And oh, I think that I think the whole positive thinking trend is the fucking worst bullshit. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 not that you can't be positive about achieving goals, but the problem is it's it's used largely by like marketing firms and corporate advisors to tell people, "Hey, be positive about the fact that you hate your job." Just be really positive about this horrific job that is is taking your health care and is destroying your life. Just be positive about it, and then everything will be fine. Yeah. And you're like, no, that that natural anger you're feeling deep down in your soul that that should be used for something. I uh, I back in Chicago, and uh, it pains me sometimes to admit this, but I I did corporate comedy. Where I wrote like oh, yeah? sketch, <laughs> I heard the judgment there, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I did, I did years of like bland college touring, and I actually did four, at least four corporate gigs. But it's hard when they're like, uh, and you know, I was really young, and but they, you know, I'd make a shit ton of money, and then I'd fucking dick around for like weeks and do nothing. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'd yeah. go do comedy shows, so it's like. A hard, but I remember like t talking to people who work at these corporations. They're just and they would be like, "Yeah, I just I love working at like La Mom and wh whatever the fuck the name is." And you know, it's like we're just a family here. I'm like, they don't give a fuck about you. Like, <laughs> like you're the first one to go. Like, are you kidding me? It's like amazing how people get on board with that bullshit. It's like almost like brainwashing. I can't remember what whose book it is. Maybe it's Chris Hedges. But uh, Empire of someone, Illusion, right? I think so. Someone's talking about like some office setting where they bring in like a fun specialist, and everyone's treated like chill, you know, kind of like children. Like, oh, look, we're gonna have fun, and we're gonna show how happy we are to be here, and how happy the organization is. And deep down, the organization is like destroying their wages, taking their health care forcing them to work overtime without extra pay, making it so they can't get promotions. But on a day-to-day, -day, it's like, hey, everybody should smile. And, and, you know, you should never say you're upset with something. You say you have a disagreement about something. Like, all these stupid word games. I mean, it's so 1984. <laughs> hey, you know, guess who was one of those fun specialists? Me. <laughs> I, well, oh yeah, well, you should you should do it. You should do a whistleblower, fun specialist whistleblower. <laughs> I did. Well, we would go in. I I worked for Second City for years, and we'd go in and teach improv, and which was just like, how does this fucking relate to like accounting? Like, I was perplexed. I mean, I was just like, I'm here because I need the drinking money, and then. <laughs> well, also, also Second City, to its credit, does a lot of great comedy. They do, they do, and they just they have this one division where they do a lot of. Uh, that sort of stuff. But it's like, you know, they make gazillions of dollars and it's hard to turn down. And I was making, mm -hmm. like I was, you know, in my mid-twenties making thousands of dollars a week doing that corporate shit. And I've never... Jesus made, Christ. I've never made that since, by the way. <laughs> yeah. My, my economic career peaked in my mid-twenties. <laughs> yeah, mine too. I was, I was touring. I had, a, I had a couple of years where I was touring 100 colleges a year. Holy shit. And yeah, making like a, a grand piece. And uh, ever since I decided to talk about real issues, for some odd reason, colleges don't want me anymore. Yeah, because uh, I used to think that too. Like, oh, you go to these colleges. It's like, I think I still thought colleges operated like they did in the 60s, and you'd go and everybody would, just, you know, cool. <laughs> like, whereas you yeah. knew what was going on. It's like, they're. They want to, they just want to get drunk and fuck, I guess. 
Yeah, pretty pretty much everyone thinks that colleges are the way they are, the way they were in the sixties. Like, because everyone remembers it. Like George Carlin got his. I mean, he he was already well known for clean comedy, but he got kind of his edgier start uh, touring colleges, and that was that was who wanted him, but not anymore. W- was there a diff, 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 like a defining moment where you're like, I can't do this college shit anymore, and we got to start, or I, I got to start doing something more meaningful well it, it it kind of gelled over a few years i mean first the first step was starting to put more thoughtful stuff into my college routine which worked for a while uh because the colleges didn't know they were booking that and then you know i i would put out of an hour i put 20 minutes of kind of more socially con- conscious stuff in and and the kids you know i'd make it funny so the kids were laughing so they didn't really care and it was fine. Um, then the next step was that I started to get really tired of the entire, like the entire thing, like trying to do an hour for, you know, 18 year olds who haven't read a newspaper. And, and, but luckily that corresponded with my appearance on Fox news that went viral and, uh, no one wanted to book me after that. So it kind of worked out. (laughs) Well, I mean, in a weird way, it's, that's a compliment that Fox News got so pissed off at you there. That's, yeah, no, it's definitely definitely a compliment. Yeah, it's uh, it's I don't. This is gonna sound like I'm judging people I know, but it's like, and I hope I'm not sounding like a dick, but like, I see people go on shows like Chelsea, and I just couldn't talk about. I couldn't. My, I couldn't talk about pop culture. I don't give a fuck. Like I'm like, I don't give a fuck about yeah. reality shows. I, I think it's, I think they're all the demise of our society, not the or part of the demise. And I just like, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, I was just gonna absolutely agree. And it's funny you bring up Chelsea uh, lately because I, you know, I'm I'm occasionally looking for writing jobs. Not really anymore, but. This was like a year, year and a half ago. And I thought, okay, well, you know, if someone comes to me, I'll consider it. And so they like, they asked me to apply as a writer and I'm looking at the writing requirements and it's like write 10 monologue pieces or something or five monologue pieces. And so I never, I knew Chelsea, the, the comedian, I'd seen her perform, but I'd never really seen the show. So I start watching her monologues online. And after about three of them, and you know what they talk about. They talk about absolutely nothing. They'll talk about the most, you know, uh, asinine news you can you can come up with. And uh, the, after about three of them or five of them or something, I'm like, okay, I don't like this comedy, but I could probably pump this out if I had to. And maybe it'll, you know, maybe it'll be a good door to open for me. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll do this writing packet. And then I watched five more before I was going to start writing. And by that point, I was like vomiting in my mouth and I just was, I, I couldn't do it. I, I just, I was like, no, I, I can't even apply for this. Yeah, I used to, I used to be the same way, and then I just like I submitted to a gazillion shows, and just after a while, it's just like, ah, like I just was miserable. Like I was like, I can't, for my well being, I can't do this anymore. Other because it's just, it's just like yeah, no, I totally hear you, and it, and it, 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 I think, I think what separates kind of the way you and I think, and the way a lot of comedians and writers are thinking is not that they necessarily don't care about some of these issues, but I think they think that at the end of the day, it's not really going to matter whether they care about them or not. And things are going to keep trucking along the way they have. And America is going to be fine. And the globe's going to be fine. And, and the, what keeps me from going back like to doing kind of bland comedy because it opens doors and things like that is that I don't think we have that much time to keep behaving this way. I don't think there's, you know, like it, it, yeah, it could easily be 20 or 50 years before things really get like horrific, horrific. But in those 20 years, I'm going to spend them trying to scream, you know, (laughs) trying to scream like our heads are on fire because I, I don't, you know, I, I'd rather go down swinging than, than just kind of look the other way. My my analogy the, the other day on the Young Turks was uh, that it, it feels like 
we're in a car that's going straight towards a wall and everyone's looking out the back of the car going, oh, that's a pretty sunset. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I agree. And I don't like I'm it's not like I don't enjoy, you know, I'll watch an action movie. Like, I think people start thinking that guys like you and I are just like, it's constantly angry and we can't enjoy anything because <laughs> I'll find myself. Yeah, no. Like, I find myself at parties, like, people bring up stuff, and I'll be like, yeah, well, you know, what really is, because, like, I'm always, and I'm like, you're becoming that fucking asshole, Dwyer, who's got to fucking, like, ruin everything. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I, I'm a big proponent of, you know, using escapism and watching a fucking Bond movie when you when you need it. Um, like, I, I, I have to do that, but, because otherwise your head explodes, but it's just the, the the problem is we've become a culture that, you know, the escapism is now 10 minutes of watching the news. That's your escape from the 23 hours of full-on reality shows. <laughs> yeah. There was even, there was a guy uh, recently, like two days ago, had a Kickstarter thing, raised $4,000 to have a Skyrider right over L.A. Where, where can I land? And I and I had a bunch of friends who participated in this, and I was just really yeah, like, God. I, I I know, and some of them like I was like, why? <laughs> like I was just like, like that's with all the things you could do with that money that that or even it like that's what you write on in the sky. Like you have such a great opportunity to do so much with it, and it's just some kind of shitty joke. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like a like a viral YouTube video. It's like this, I, I heard an interview with some comedian and, you know, I'm not trying to trash him, but um, it's the same idea where he does these viral videos that are just, and he's done many of them that are just about nothing. They're like, they're like, how many Starbucks can I visit in a day? And how many, you know, how, how many piggyback rides can I get? And then he films himself getting piggyback rides. And you're thinking like, I'm not saying every, prank or action has to be full on in your face motivated towards some some uh you know uh really in your face political points but it could have a subtle meaning behind it it could be like i'm getting piggyback rides because we're driving too much you know it could be something slightly conscious of the world around it but you know so those, those kind of things are just infuriating yeah and i feel like i just i I feel like that just keeps feeding into, like I, like I'm just perplexed when people are like, watch, you know, like the the people watching shitty films because they're cause they're shitty, and <laughs> like my I, I don't know if you know who Mike O'Connell is. He's like no one goes and sees sits in a theater and watches a really shitty play intentionally. <laughs> it's like well, he's like it just doesn't make sense. And I'm like, but I feel like then people are like, oh, it's fun. But like in a weird way, I think it's a slow dumbing, like you're, it's dumbing everybody right. down because now it's like everything's stupid. Like let's have pancakes on for dinner on a date. It's just like fucking 500 Days of Summer, another movie that, you know, just like feeds into this whimsy. We're all whimsical. Right. It's like everything is, uh, is an Andy Kaufman stunt. <laughs> oh god that killed me yeah it's just that and then it, that kills like sincerity i think and being honest it's like you... yeah i mean there's like i can i can you know change my material a little bit and and change my tone a little bit and usually survive at least for 10 minutes in just about in just about any room like I could if I could play that comedy club in Tennessee if I was only doing 10 minutes and not an hour but the one place where I like bomb is in front of the full-on hipster rooms in like Williamsburg where I used to live Williamsburg Brooklyn or some of these other places because they hate passion they hate real passion they it, seriously it has to have a rock Whatever you're saying, and it can be a little bit political, but it has to have ironic detachment, or else they're just like so checked out. They want nothing to do with it. Uh, they can all go 
fuck themselves because I do. I just I feel like it's funny. I was doing a music festival a couple years ago, and I was with my friend Tom, uh, who who is a little bit a little bit older than me, but he's like we're watching the Strange Boys, and he's he's looking at the band, and then he looks at the audience, and he looks at the band, and like and I'm not kidding you. There's like a guy dressed like Where's Waldo. Uh, there was another guy in like a baby one. Uh, oh, my dog just interrupted. A guy in a baby onesie. Like it was just crazy. And he was like, he's like, remember when the audiences or the bands were the ones who dressed weird and the audiences were in plaid shirts and jeans? He's like, what happened to those days? It's like now everybody has to be the fucking weirdo. It's a, and it just it just shows such a tone of insincerity like look at me <laughs> yeah it's you know living in williamsburg was weird because you you totally feel like you're at a costume party every day of the week yeah and this is not a comment necessarily on his filmmaking but i greatly blame wes anderson for it because <laughs> it is every one of his f- characters in his movies like i'm a i'm a boy scout i'm a this i gotta Look at my wacky mode of transportation. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and and then I think people thought that was you know kind of cute, and then everyone just went a little too far with it. Yeah, yeah, and those and those type of people think they tend to be a little bit more hip and liberal, but I don't. They tend to not know shit about fuck. That- well, it's that's that's the thing. It's kind of like what I was saying about some of the LA crowds. Is it's like they are all these hipsters are liberal. You know, they couldn't give a shit whether you're gay or not. Like they're they're. And in fact, you're actually cooler if you're gay. So <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're they're totally liberal, but they just don't want to. You know, having a passion. If they were to stand up in a party and say, "Hey guys, we need to do something for gay rights," everyone would be like, uh, "Could you please leave?" Yeah, it's 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 weird how things have just gotten so apathetic to me. It's and I, I think like uh, we mentioned Chris Hedges earlier. I feel like Empire of Illusion really helped me uh, focus that anger about such things because it has been this systematic sort of dumbing us down. Yeah, Empire of Illusion is uh, wow. It'll punch you in the gut. (laughs) I haven't been able to look at one thing the same since. Like, that drastically just fucked my brain in a positive way. Yeah, like, I I think it just confirmed a lot of what I already knew, but it, it, it certainly made me feel like it's much more dire. I mean, I I was already thinking things weren't good, but but that book <laughs> that, that that book will make you either run down to the town square with uh, you know and dump the red paint on your nearest politician, or it will make you drive your car into a bridge and button. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's like even like because he talks about how you know the menus in restaurants now it's like it's all pictures like we're just we're re- having to read less and less and like then it's like you know i i look at that like okay twitter fucking giving you everything boop real quick then there's instagram where it's like well why should i i read what people are doing i can look at these and now we got that vine app have you seen this atrocity <laughs> i've heard about it was it six seconds or something yeah and it's like some people are making kind of cool little short funny films but it's just like I'm just can't help but think it's like here's one more thing to just be like brr I got it now I got to do this and be distracted <laughs> it's like yeah it's uh, it's it, it's it's rough I you know the most ever shared thing I've ever put on any form of media well, with okay, maybe a couple of succession, uh, exceptions from Huffington Post, but um, w- was uh, the, recently I put up something about the minimum wage and how it should be. You know, if it were to keep up with income uh, distribution, it would uh, from 1960s. It would currently be dollars, and instead it's eight dollars. But I put that that fact next to an adorable kitten. Oh, I saw that. I saw that. And it got shared like fifty or sixty thousand times, <laughs> and, and largely, I think, because of the kittens. Yeah, 
the, the weird thing is your phone cut out when you said how much people would make uh, if the uh, minimum. Oh, oh it's, uh, if, if it had kept up with it. Well, Elizabeth Warren said this the other day, said the same fact. If it had kept up with income distribution, it would be about $21 um, compared to, you know, uh, the, the $1.16 that people made in 1968 or whenever would now be 21 over $21. That's uh, when you say because I, I had a friend recently brag about it. He's like, hey, I'm making $15 an hour. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you should be making so much more. Yeah, 15 ain't bad in today's today's world. I, I made 12 in a uh, dollars an hour it, my senior year in high school working in a grocery store <laughs> and it was a union gig but it's just like I, I'm just astounded that it is like that people's wages even in my lifetime haven't jumped that much yeah it's it, I mean you know if you want to if you want to get down to the root of it it's it's the fact that technology takes away jobs which is fine that that actually should be okay but it should be okay if we dealt with it the right way, which is to make everybody work less for, you know, a little more money, and then the technology does the extra work. So, you know, you, you introduce a machine to the to the factory line, and then that takes an hour off of everyone's day. But instead, it all that money and all that time goes to the CEOs, goes to the top of the company. So basically, you introduce a machine to the factory line, and rather than knocking an hour off everyone's work day, you get rid of 10 employees and send the money up to the CEO. It's amazing that uh, just people don't protest and riot like they used to. I mean, our police are, uh, you know, pretty much militaries now, but, so it makes protesting a little harder. But, like, people should be furious. Well, I yeah, I think you're going to see it again. I, I mean, I think it's continually bubbling up. And right now, I think that what we saw with Occupy is actually simmering below the surface. And I think it's still I think it's more still there than people realize. And, you know, uh, people still to this day don't give Occupy enough credit. You, you're talking about the first ever spontaneous global for leaderless protest movement. It's absolutely unprecedented, and, you know, it, it completely changed the conversation in the country, if not the world, away from austerity and towards taxing the wealthy. And now the politicians are succeeding in forcing that conversation back towards austerity, and hopefully uh, people will stand up again. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, people don't realize that the Occupy movement is actually still doing stuff, and they're just like, yeah. well, that didn't work. It's like... That's what you hear in the media. It's like that debt jubilee thing blew my mind away. <laughs> I was like, "What a fucking genius idea that is!" It's it's amazing, and it uh, you know they just did. I did a video on it, uh, moment of clarity video, and they just uh, erased one point one million dollars of debt. They over a thousand people, you know, got you know we're about we're about to have their lives destroyed. A debt they could never really pay off, and because it was all medical debt. And uh, they got a letter in the mail saying, don't worry about your debt. God damn. How come nobody's out there interviewing those people who got that letter? Like, I know. It's, it's incredible that the media won't, won't cover it. Because when you think about it, the, the, the root of it, I mean, the reason it scares, you know, they're not going to say it out loud, but it scares the shit out of the banks and everything because it's people standing up for each other and not allowing the you know corporate raping and pillaging of the of the people. So it's it's us standing up for our neighbors instead of just allowing everyone to slowly have their lives destroyed by the profit influence. Yeah. Do you do you think we can things can get better? That they will get better? The, the thing that gives me the most hope, um, I, you know, I don't. The thing that worries me the most is I don't know whether we can turn around climate change uh, soon enough. Um, the thing that gives me the most hope is that I truly believe we're in the midst of a, a communication revolution that even our brains aren't really capable of of taking in all of it. I mean, over the span of a quarter century. 
everything has changed. People in, you know, a desert in Dubai can look on their phone and know what's going on in America or, or, or around the world, and it's already caused revolutions. Occupy wouldn't have happened without the Internet. The Arab Spring wouldn't have happened. And whether the, whether the results of the Arab Spring, you know, what's going on in Egypt right now are wonderful or not, the point is that that it allowed people to bring down a 30-year military dictatorship, and that kind of thing is, you know, largely without violence. The violence was done against them, and that kind of thing is unprecedented. So I think you're we're in the midst of something that we can't really comprehend that is far larger than I think a lot of people are giving it credit for. That's a really good point because it is. I feel like I'm constantly in a mode of like, what is this? What is happening? And comparing it to other moments, specifically the 60s, where it seemed like people were getting really pissed off. But it's like, and it is, we won't know what the fuck this is until down the road. But it does seem very pivotal. That is for certain. Yeah, it's it's incredibly pivotal, I mean, and and it, these two things are corresponding. I mean, are uh, are happening simultaneously, which makes it even more interesting. The fact that we're kind of on the brink of destroying our environment, and we're also in the midst of this this tech, you know, exponential technology and communication growth. That you know, it, 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 five years from now, we may all be communicating by fucking Google glasses. Like, you can't even <laughs> seriously. You you might be blinking a message to someone five years from now. <laughs> and and that's not even a wacky. Like that's not even you know they they already exist. So that's not even a wacky uh, uh, idea. Like it, it's tough for us to even comprehend where it could be five or ten years from now. Yeah, that is true. And just just so you know, I am going to be quoting your Andy Kaufman, and I will give you credit. I'm not one of them dicks, but you're <laughs> okay. that thing fucking. I had to fight laughing so we could continue talking. <laughs> that is such a dead on observation. Um, it, it, would you uh, like to take this moment to plug everything that you have that is pluggable? Sure. Uh, the so the moment of quoting rants. And by the way, these are all free online. Um, they're they're available at LeeCamp.net. It's probably the easiest place. And then my YouTube page, uh, uh, YouTube.com slash Moment of Clarity Show, Facebook.com slash LeeCampComedian, Twitter at LeeCamp. I have two comedy albums, live comedy albums out, and I have a, mo- a book out called, an e-book called Moment of Clarity that for a while was number five on Amazon's po- political humor list. And then the the big show, the Moment of show, and the Kickstarter to have a second season of it uh, will be happening soon. Great. Oh, is there anywhere they can uh, give dough to your Kickstarter? Yeah, it hasn't started yet, but if they just keep in touch at LeeCamp.net uh, or on my Twitter or whatever, I'll be talking about it a lot. All right, and uh, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. If you enjoyed the show, please donate. Please, would you donate to my show? And if you can't, just go through the Amazon link there, and uh, you could buy some bullshit on Amazon, and I get a kickback. That's cool, right? You could do that. Go buy Uncle Buck. That's a great movie. John Candy. Nothing but pure joy, that guy. Follow me on Twitter, Matt underscore Twitter. Matt underscore DeWire is what it is at Twitter.com. Thank you for listening, everybody, and let's have some fucking peace in this world.
National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.